Welcome to today's Hubbard and O'Brien Economics Podcast. We're back after a summer break. We're recording this one on Wednesday, August 12, 2020. I'm Tony O'Brien. I'm a professor of economics at Lehigh University. Joining me as always is my co-author, Glenn Hubbard, who is a professor of finance and economics at Columbia University. Glenn, how are you today? How, how is life these days in New York City? Uh, great, Tony. It's a, a little bit empty. I'm certainly waiting for the students to come back. I start teaching pretty soon. How about you? Yeah, the Lehigh Valley is not exactly back to normal, but we can sort of see normal on the far horizon. Lehigh made the decision a couple of weeks ago that rather than have everybody back, they're just going to have the first year students back and everybody else will be online. So there's a lot of um, thought about That'll be kind of an odd experience for the first years because the the campus will be obviously more empty than it's been before, but they're feeling their way to to sort of a compromise. Really the same for us at, at Columbia. We have students coming back and in the business school, I would say on any given day, about a third of our students will be physically there and the others will be on Zoom and they'll rotate through in groups. That's the idea at least. So as a faculty member, you'll have people in the room, you'll have people on Zoom. Uh, and I think it's going to be really an interesting experiment on how to connect better with the students. Yeah, that maybe gets us into the first topic we can discuss today. And we're now, depending on how you count it, five or six months into the, the COVID pandemic in the United States. And we've seen a lot of changes. We've seen them in teaching as people have had to learn a lot of uh, new techniques about how to deliver their courses online. And certainly we've seen things in the economy that have changed. Uh, the economics profession, if you look at uh, the sort of working papers that have been coming out, or many economists are looking at topics they hadn't looked at before. And uh, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Uh, here we are five or six months in. What do you now think might be the, the big trends, both in terms of education, delivering courses, and also in terms of the economy and how we think about the economy? Well, yeah, it's a huge question, Tony. And you and I have talked about this many times in thinking about the book and in, and in teaching. I think COVID has obviously changed the way we're teaching logically. Many of us are teaching on, on Zoom, but it's also changing the emphasis on topic areas in economics. It's like an accelerant, things that were always there but are now suddenly more visible and important. What are shapes of recession? What does it mean to be out of work for a significant period of time about your future in the labor market? How does health policy in the pandemic relate to economic policy? You know, when, when we started doing these podcasts, uh, many people we were talking to obviously were looking at challenges and opportunities in Zoom. How do you engage students? Uh, how do you uh, keep them uh, talking to the class, but quickly the discussion turned to opportunity. You know, can you get really interesting guest speakers? Can you focus in smaller bits on particular topics? I think that's what's going to guide the fall. And I think particularly with political changes, with other things in the air, uh, there will be a real time to talk about the shape of the recession, about fiscal policy, uh, about monetary policy, and frankly, about the future of businesses in the country. What does it mean for hotels? What does it mean for office buildings? What does it mean for restaurants? And frankly, in our little world, what does it mean for us in higher ed? Yeah, maybe we can go into those uh, different aspects of 
what you're just talking about, we are five or six months into the recession. I guess the National Bureau of Economic Research has dated the beginning of the current recession in February. Uh, initially, there was a lot of talk or hope that we might have a so-called V-shaped recession, a very sharp downturn followed by a very rapid recovery. Then there was uh, talk of a, a swoosh where we have the sharp downturn but a, a slower recovery. Given what we've seen in the recent GDP and unemployment numbers, have your views changed on how long the recession is likely to last and what the recovery will look like? They really haven't. And I'd be interested in your views on this too. I, I have thought from the beginning, this feels like the Nike swoosh you mentioned, like a check mark where you would have a sharp downturn and a gradual upturn. And I, I said that and feel it today because it, it takes a while to recover when you've had this level of destruction of business relationships, of working relationships, it's not like a light switch that you can turn off and turn on, even with very aggressive policy. And goodness knows we've seen very aggressive policy. The worry is more that we could slip into something less benign than a Nike swoosh, you know, something like a W, where a return of the virus leads to yet another shutdown and another sharp downturn like the beginning of a check mark, uh, or even an L where you go down and you, you don't come back up. I do see a lot of signs of recovery in the economy, but I also see a lot of weakness in small business, in mid-sized business, in certain sectors of the economy. And I worry that for some people, being out of work a significant period of time can lead to labor markets scarring. And I think the whole discussion of the shape of the recession really hinges on a couple of big factors. One, what's going to happen to small and mid-sized businesses in the country? Uh, we know they need a lot of equity infusions. The best we've been able to come up with is, is loan programs. What's going to happen there? And the other is what will happen to the labor market? We've, we've already seen a big rebound, but we're not nearly back to where we were. How long that's going to take? That, that's my two cents. What do you think? I was thinking the other day about the significant psychological component here, because one of the things we've talked about a number of times is obviously we face a trade-off that some of the measures that will reduce the spread of the virus also have economic costs. And there's some question about how we view that trade-off and has that changed over time? Before we began the podcast, we were talking a little bit about uh, the fact that the Big Ten Athletic Conference uh, yesterday, the, the conference that has Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Indiana, and so on, uh, they announced yesterday they would not be playing fall sports. And the Dow immediately fell 150 points. Now, there were other things going on, and maybe it was some bad news about the likelihood of for further stimulus, but it wouldn't surprise me if people looked at that and said, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty about how the economy is going. And as individuals, you know, we have uncertainty about, are we almost back to normal? You know, should I buy a car? You know, I'm, we're thinking of moving. Should we should you buy a new house? And in that respect, then you could say, well, gee, they can't play college football. Then maybe we're not back as close to normal as I had thought. Maybe I should pull in my horns. On the other hand, I, I was thinking about the fact that there was this basketball player in the early days of the pandemic back in March, a fellow named Rudy Gobert, who plays for the Utah Jazz. And when he tested positive, essentially it shut sports down. The NBA 
said, okay, we're suspending our season, Major League Baseball canceled spring training, uh, many, uh, the, the college basketball tournament was canceled, and uh, things that some people think that was kind of a, a signal event that caused people to say, whoa, you know, if we're, if we're shutting down sports, this really must be important. But as baseball has started to um, play again, they have had a lot of positive tests. The Miami Marlins had 18 players test positive. That was more than half of their team. St. Louis Cardinals had players test positive. And baseball has kept going, though, and hasn't really had all that much criticism. People haven't said, oh, my God, how can you keep playing? And one way of looking at that is maybe the way we view the trade-off has changed a bit. That in March, we were kind of more on the side of, well, we just have to do whatever we have to do to stop the virus. And maybe now we're getting more into a situation where, at least in some respects, we're willing kind of to, to live with it and go on with our, our lives. I don't know whether that uh, is something that you also think might be happening. Yeah, I, I think there are two factors at work, and you highlighted them well. One is we really do have to get the virus under control to have a vigorous economic recovery. So in that sense, it's not so much a trade-off between lives and livelihood. On the other hand, the idea that you have to shut down the entire economy may be naive. We know there are different subpopulations by age, other factors, different parts of the country that are more or less susceptible. And we may need to have smart reopenings. Some cities and some parts of the country uh, are doing that now. And I think that that is gonna be our, our guide. The uncertainty really is worrisome. I mean, many households, many businesses are fearful. Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to see demand come back in my firm? What are my profits going to be? So decisions that are about buying a home, about hiring somebody, about business investment, those can be on hold and probably need a big change, meaning the virus receding a bit and or a vaccine or some bolder policy actions than we've, than we've seen now. But I, I do think we, we've improved, but we are definitely not out of the woods. Maybe we can follow up about policy. So the question is, do, do we need additional fiscal or monetary policy action? I know that Last month, you and Hal Scott published an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal indicating that the Federal Reserve's Main Street Lending Program, that's the program where they were making long-term loans to mid-sized businesses, I guess between 500 and 15,000 employees. And you pointed out it was off to a very slow start at that point. I don't know whether that particular program has picked up and are there other things that the Fed and Congress and the president should be thinking about doing? Well, I, th- I think there are, Tony, I'll come back to, to Main Street in just a second, but first it's useful to ask, and you know, we think about talking to students about goals of fiscal policy, you know, before you do something, what is it you're trying to do? At the very beginning of the pandemic, I think many policymakers and frankly, probably many economists felt it was going to be short and sweet And so the idea was to just sort of freeze frame the economy in place. So we had very significant plus up to unemployment insurance payments. We had the Paycheck Protection Program to keep workers attached to small and mid-sized firms and so on. The longer the pandemic goes on and we realize we're transitioning to a new and different economy, we can't really freeze frame the economy. By that, I don't, don't just mean that we can't afford it, although that's probably true too. I mean, it's not even desirable. 
if we're moving to a new place, we need to get there. The question is how and with, with what support. The, the Main Street program from the Fed was designed to help provide that support for mid-sized firms. The way it is currently envisioned by the Fed, it has very few takers, either banks as lenders or, or businesses as borrowers. I think there are things the Fed could do to make it better. In other aspects, of course, the Fed's been very aggressive in financial markets in trying to right the economy shift. Likewise, in fiscal policy, I think there are things that we need to do. Uh, states, for example, have seen large declines in revenue. And as the pandemic continues, we can't expect that to bounce back quickly, meaning states would have to make cuts to state workers, to uh, public education. A lot of public services people uh, value and depend upon. And some sort of aid to states, I think, is very desirable. We also need to continue to support, to support unemployment insurance as long as we have elevated unemployment. I think there are ways to do that with triggers that offer a great chance in the classroom to talk about how unemployment insurance works and its costs and its benefits. But I, I definitely think we need to do that. I think there's also a need to take a look at making work pay, which is a great chance in class to talk about the earned income tax credit and other programs like that. So I do see an opportunity for fiscal policy to be uh, more active. And I think there'll be a couple of ways to think about that in the fall. One is the unfolding pandemic events, but the other is obviously students will be interested in the election. And we're going to see uh, dueling policy proposals. So it, it's really a great teaching opportunity. It is. I mean, it's rarely been a time in which fiscal and monetary policy have been at the forefront of political debate for as long as, as it's been going on here. Uh, I wanted to, to, to follow up a little bit. You were talking about some of the businesses that may never come back or, or what your thoughts actually were on you know, movie theaters, restaurants, hotels, concert halls, sports stadiums, maybe even office buildings. We've seen uh, a number of office buildings in big cities that have opened or partially opened and uh, many workers still feel uncomfortable in coming back. And, and I guess there have been knock-on effects for the small businesses in, in um, the business districts of big cities where you have restaurants and other stores whose main customers are the people who work in those office buildings. So there was a, an article, I think it may have been in the Wall Street Journal, where the reporter was outside the Time Life building in New York and she was noting that there were very few food vendors there. And she, she interviewed a, a guy who had a hot dog stand. And it was in the afternoon. He said normally he would sell 400 hot dogs a day. And thus far, he had sold 10. So there's a question I guess many people have is, is this transitory? Uh, when we get a vaccine, assuming that we get one or we get more effective therapies, are we likely to see office, the occupancy of office buildings go back? Will people go back to movie theaters? Will restaurants uh, spring back? Or is there something going on where people will become uh, sort of gun shy about being in situations where they have to be in close quarters with large numbers of people? I think it's going to take some time. And the way I think about sectors of the economy, I think of them in, in different buckets. So one area we really have to get open and get working quickly, I think, are schools. And by that, I mean, you know, primary and, and secondary schools. There's a lot of evidence from economists who study education and its returns 
that you know being out of school and having your learning process disrupted is not just disruptive in the near term but can actually damage students earnings opportunities we also know that when students in schools are sent home they may have unequal access to the technologies that are needed to survive and thrive in the classroom so I think that's very, very important. And a lot of cities and states are trying there in different ways. Uh, in terms of private businesses, I do think offices and the companies that are in those office buildings are trying to rethink office density. I, I think it may be naive to think that everybody's just going to work at home, irrespective of what one's experience is with that now, simply because there is a certain uh, kismet, if you will, of bringing people together in offices, whether it's an academic office, a business office, in talking about ideas, in a water cooler talk. I think that goal of bringing people together will still be there. Now, whether buildings are as dense is another story. And, and a big factor, as you think about businesses and finance, is commercial real estate. What's going to happen to rents? What's going to happen to those businesses? I think that's really a big open question, particularly in very dense cities like uh, New York uh, or, or uh, San Francisco. For restaurants, surely many will fail. Uh, they, however, will come back as an economy recovers as hard as the human story may be. The more difficult economic story, it seems to me, are mid-sized businesses that might have been around a long time who wind up failing. Those are real relationship capital loss for the economy, and we really ought to focus hard there. In our own world, in colleges, I think professors and university administrators are trying to ask, what product are we selling? So an example of that is direct learning in a classroom, but it's also learning and interaction with a professor, with fellow students, with speakers who come to class, and I think we're figuring out ways of unbundling that, some using technology, some face-to-face, -face, that may, frankly, after the pandemic, give students an even richer experience than they have now. The one thing we know is there is going to be a lot of change. So looking ahead five years even, I don't think we're going to see an economy that looks like the one we had in January. But what do you think? Yeah, you know, there, there is, I think, um, a psychological element here as well. I was thinking the other day that if you remember back to September 11, 2001 and the terrorist attacks, there were people who predicted that airlines will not come back for years, that people just will not be willing to get on an airline. Um, leisure trips, business travel will decline. You know, people may be reluctant to go to sports stadiums or the places that could be targets. Disney World, I remember President Bush at the time famously said to try and buck up attendance at Disney World, take your family on a vacation, you know, it'll, it'll be safe. As it turned out, things did get back to normal relatively quickly there. That uh, And that, that's kind of, I think, maybe a default for many people that they were originally doing whatever they were doing because they like to do it. Uh, they like to go to the movies or they like to, to dine out. So most people's default is, I think, to go back to doing what they were doing. On the other hand, you do wonder whether it will take a period of time before people think, gee, you know, okay, we've, we've got... COVID under control and it's been two years and there hasn't been another outbreak of a, of a, of a different virus. 
and so maybe, okay, I can start thinking about, uh, you know, taking that vacation or, you know, maybe it's okay to go back and work in my office building and, and that sort of thing. One thing that I, that I found a little, that potentially might be worrisome, and we talk about this some um, in chapter eight of the textbook, and that is by certain measures, the U.S. economy or, and U.S. society in general has become less dynamic than it was. That if you look at the census data, people are much less likely to move from one county to another uh, than they were as recently as the 1960s, 1970s. I think it's declined by something like half. And also we talk about the fact that there's been a decline in business startups and that you know, the number of, uh, of new firms being formed has been declining. And this really is a time if we're going to have to reallocate resources, certain industries maybe will either go into permanent or long-term decline and others will, will increase. I wonder if that lack of dynamism might hurt us, that you know, we're having fewer new firms that might be started in the expanding areas and uh, people who might have to move from one place to another to take advantage of those new opportunities might be more reluctant uh, than their parents or grandparents were. Do you think that's a, a significant concern if we really are in a situation where the, the mix of products and industries is gonna significantly change as a result of the virus? I do think it's a concern, and I, I would add to that that we might see increasing concentration in the economy that what would have been smaller or mid-sized firms are now part of larger companies. Uh, you could think of it as Amazonization of business. Having said that, I, I do think we could see a revival of dynamism with the right policies uh, to encourage that. My, my colleague, Ned Phelps at Columbia, who's a Nobel Prize winner in economics, has been working on this uh, problem for years. I do think also in all of this, we have a lot to learn in looking at the experiences of other countries. We know that some countries have fared better than the United States. Uh, some have fared worse. I think we, we need to learn from a public health perspective, from a business continuity perspective uh, as well, and how, going back to our other conversation about how we address the problems of the unemployed. So I, I think this is going to be a learning experience. The pandemic uh, is a, essentially a global problem, and we've been treating it as a series of local problems, but it's really a global one. Great. Well, Glenn, this has been a very interesting and useful discussion, and I just wanted to remind our listeners that this podcast is now available on iTunes. So if you'd like, you can subscribe there, make us part of your podcast feed, and if you're so moved, you can even leave us a review. Remember, we also have a blog where you may actually be um, listening to this, so you already know this, but it's Hubbard O'Brien Economics, all run together.com, where we periodically post new content. You can subscribe to the blog to receive email alerts about new posts. Thanks again for everyone joining us for this conversation. If you're an instructor, we would be happy to participate in your class if you think that could be helpful. We could come via Zoom and discuss topics that you would find interesting. We look forward to connecting with instructors and students again on a future Hubbard and O'Brien Economics podcast. We'll see you next time.